The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, we're going to be starting at verse uh, uh, 73 uh, while you're getting there. Um, Near the end of his life, a philosopher by the name of Jean-Paul Sartre, he told Pierre Victor, he said these words, I do not feel that I am the product of chance. Now, if, uh, if you guys know who Sartre is, he's actually an atheistic philosopher. And he's, at the end of his life, he says, I do not feel that I'm a product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe, but someone who was expected, prepared, prefigured, in short, a being whom only a creator could put here. And this idea of a creating hand refers to God. Protested fellow philosopher and longtime companion, Simone de Beauvoir, I love saying that, how should one explain the senile act of a turncoat? So it's inevitable, it's absolutely unavoidable. If we're being honest with ourselves, it's absolutely unavoidable, the reality of this thing called creation. You just can't get away from the idea that we are creatures, and we are creatures that were created by a superior being. This is the reality of creation with everything. This is the creation of you. This is the creation of me. An important and obvious, now I know as Christians, this is kind of an obvious thing. This is something that we've learned even since, you know, Sunday school, you know, who created me? God I mean, that's just kind of there, it's kind of, but it's one of those truths that I wonder, we know it, we believe it, it's foundational, but we, do we truly understand all the implications that come with this idea called creation? Because we know we're created by God, everybody knows we were created by God, Romans chapter one makes that very clear, Romans chapter one makes it very clear that there's no such thing as atheists, but again, do we really understand our passage or, or the implications that come from this idea that God created everything. To know this helps us to understand that all, all of the stuff, everything that happens in this world with it, understanding that God created us helps us to understand all that comes with it and the only thing that can sufficiently answer all the questions everyone has about the meaning of life and about this sense that everyone seems to have that we're here for a reason, that there is a purpose for us being here. Now, it's really hard for us to just chalk that up to random chance. It's just difficult to answer those questions that way. The only thing that really sufficiently answers these questions is a creator God. But of course, our world, society, culture will come against, oh, here comes these Christians again, talking about old Sky Daddy again. You know, all the, the myths and all the legends and all this stuff, they just can't grow up and stop believing in fairy tales. Even though it sufficiently answers all the questions, right? We struggle with this. It's a struggle that's actually a reality within the church in America today, and in fact, all of modern evangelicalism all over the world. We struggle with this, and we struggle with it because of sin and the continued 
crafted lies of the arrogant and unfeeling that's used as weapons against us. This is why we become confused. It's kind of like we're walking as Christians going, I know God created me, but I'm not sure God created me. I know he did. I absolutely know God created me, but I'm not sure that God created me. Confusing, isn't it? But that's kind of the message that I feel like sometimes we're communicating when it comes to uh, understanding this important piece, right? We become confused as to who we are. We become confused as to why we are here. Things like evolution, things like quantum physics, things like alien creation and anti-theists, they have infiltrated so much and have achieved a platform to propagate the message that creates disillusion and confusion when it comes to the basic truth that God created everything. That's so basic. It's there, inherent in all of us. It's all implanted in our mind as human beings who are made in the image of God, right? Why is that confused? Why, why is it confusing us? And the thing that's, that's, that's amazing to me is confidence in the scriptures by the church in modern evangelicalism today is becoming weakened. Now, how can that be? How is that possible for us? to have confidence in the scriptures become weakened. Because here's the thing that's absolutely extraordinary. If you read some of the statistics that we have, that the most vicious attacks that's coming against the scriptures today are coming from the church. Christians are the ones that are more skeptical about the Bible than non-Christians today. Now, how is this possible? It's only possible if foundationally we're confused. And like I've said, we are those who depend on the scriptures. And if we're attacking the scriptures, we are attacking our very foundation. But yet, we still remain comfortable in this confusion. Why do we remain comfortable in this confusion? Like I said the last couple of weeks, because remember... Our true standard is not really the scriptures. That's why. Our true standard comes from the culture and comes from the world. That's why the scriptures are always judged. That's why. How can Christians be skeptical and put the Bible on judgment if the Bible really is our foundation? Because if it is our foundation, it is the thing by which everything else is to be judged. Well, you know, Shane, it, it sure does seem like, you know, the Bible is condoning slavery. And then they put the Bible in front and they'd be like, okay, so explain that to me. Nowadays, I just won't, I refuse to do it. I just said, oh, I can't do it. Well, why not? Because it's the Bible. It's my foundation. It is the thing that judges everything else. And, and, and more and more what happens is our culture starts to swing this way where things in the scriptures become more and more subject to judgment when it comes to gender, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to child rearing, when it comes to all this stuff, the world has decided how we're going to do this and many of those things are in opposition to the scriptures. But what's crazy is in the church, we're having to defend the scriptures as if it's not our foundation. 
man, Shane, it sure does seem, you know, like, like the Bible seems to be pretty negative when it comes to women. How are you basing that? How are you judging that? Where's your standard? Is it coming from the Bible? No, because if it did, the Bible would not be put on trial. The culture would. This is a hard one because I think this really does hit at the core of what the problem that we're seeing in modern evangelicalism in Christianity and Southern Baptist circles, this is hitting at the core of what's wrong and the direction that we're going and the things that are happening. Because in all actuality, we have got to be honest with ourselves and to tell ourselves that our standard by which we judge things does not come from the scriptures. And I've said this many times. I'll talk to people where even their moral standards is right. It's a right moral standard. But when I ask them why they believe that, I give you an example of a friend of mine who believes that abortion is wrong. I would agree. I think you're right. But then I ask him, can you tell me why you think it's wrong? Well, it's just wrong. Yeah, but why? What, is there a reason why you believe it? Well, I, I mean, it's it's wrong. Everybody knows that it's wrong. Not everybody. Well, everybody should know that it's wrong. Yeah, can you tell me why they should know? Did one scripture come out? No. Do we know the scriptures that we would use to defend standing against abortion? Because if we don't, then can we really say that we believe that it's biblical? Well, I had, then he got really wise to what I was trying to do. And he's like, you know what, Shane? I, I, I can't tell you where the scripture is, but I know it's in there. I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. Because it is in there. Where is our foundation? We've got to be honest with ourselves. Where is the foundation? Anytime you find yourself in a position where you're casting judgment upon whether what you just read in Scripture is right or wrong, you know your standard is coming from something else. Whoa, that changes things, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Changes things. Changes things when it comes to, when it comes to even even when it comes to the penal sanctions that you see in scripture. You know, if, if you, if you uh, accidentally, uh, I, I can't, I'm trying to do this from memory, but it was like if the, the ox had killed a person and the owner knew that the ox was prone to kill somebody, then not only does the ox get put to death, but the owner does too. Oh man, Shane, that's messed up. Seriously, I get this. I, said, I tell the story, hey, that's messed up. Did you know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sticking to the plan here, Scott. I'm, I'm, I'm off already. Anyway, this is just, this is just too good to just leave. Uh, here, here's, here's one for the pastors. Now, God had set up elders and priests that were supposed to judge problems and quarrels that happen within the nation, okay? So the, the, 
the, they would have issues, they would have problems, and they would come to the, the priest and come to the judges, and, and they would say, okay, this is the problem, and then the priest and the judge would say, okay, this is what needs to, do. This is what needs to happen. This is what you need to do. You know what the Bible says? That if the individual is arrogant enough to not listen to the priest or the judge, you put him to death. Whoa. You mean people back then were being put to death for not listening to the pastor? Yeah. Frank, you know I highlighted that in the Bible. That one is highlighted like several times in rainbow colors. But what's your first reaction? Oh, that's messed up. Oh, oh that, that's wrong. Why? Because there is this part of you that's still, still connected to the pattern of the world and making judgments on things that you believe that's right and wrong that's not coming from the Bible. And we put the Bible on trial. That's why we look at it. Instead of looking at it going, oh yeah, well, I guess that is wrong. Well, that doesn't match up with society. That's not what everyone thinks. Well, so What? As Christians, the Bible is our foundation, is it not? Then it has to be our foundation. Let's just not say that it is. Let's make sure that it is. Make sure that it is our foundation, that we know what we believe, why we believe it, especially when it comes to moral things like that. You know, me, me and Mike, Mike, Mike Luber, remember we were talking last week about the overpopulation? Yeah, so me and we were talking about, you know, there's this overpopulation crisis everyone is worried about and all that stuff. And, you know, as I'm going through, I'm going through the Pentateuch, guys, this is, this is an amazing thing. Go through the Pentateuch, especially now. I don't know why. It's like a cultural thing. Look in, uh, and read through Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and look at the, the moral standards and what we're supposed to do with people that break the laws, all these types of things. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. But as you go through it, it's just like, yeah, if this person does that, you put them to death. If that person does that, you put them to death. You, this this person does that, you put him to death. You put him to death. You put him, it's, it's all over. Yes, I understand that. I get it. But then, Mike, I was thinking, you know what? If we actually did that, we might not have an overpopulation crisis. <laughs> but it's like you go back and you start to think. It's like, well, what is our common answer? What's our common modern day response to all this? Oh, well, that's just the Old Testament. No, this is God who's making these rules. So because it was back then, God didn't have it right today. Oh, oh, God didn't know that in the future there was going to be postmodernism. God didn't know in the future that, that there was going to be political you know, agendas and all these types of things. That God didn't know that in the future there was going to be this idea of you know, non-binary gene or genetic stuff that you know, comes to understanding of how we define gender. Like God didn't know this stuff was coming? He couldn't create a, 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 a means of grace, the scriptures, that would be able to address every single human at every single time at all times? Is it really archaic? Is it? 
I just, I just, I'm just wondering, is it, when you look at the Old Testament stuff and you look at the, the, the moral standards by which it, is it really dated? Is it really outdated? Do we think that in modern culture we actually know better? Do we? I wonder about that sometimes. Do we think we know better? I mean, seriously. People are like, man, Shane, you know, that's messed up. You know, God wants to kill everybody. Everybody needs to be killed. Everybody's got to be executed and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I got a better idea. Why don't we come up with this prison system where we put people in prison and we charge taxpayers to give them three meals a day and let them work out and pump iron and watch TV. And I found out now they got video games in there now too. Oh, that's a better solution. And then when COVID hits, what did we do? Open up the doors and let them all out. Oh, that's a better solution. I'm going to get myself in trouble today. You got my back? Thanks, Al. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Can I get myself in trouble? Jack, maybe you should turn off the camera. No, okay, no, don't. Janine says don't. I'm going to get murdered. <laughs> Somebody's going to, I'm not important enough for people to hire assassins to kill me. Those guys make bucks and they're not going to waste money on that. Um, so, so guys, I'm watching too much TV, I know. So we come up with these ideas. Okay, now, let's deal, let's, let's, deal. let's just talk here. <laughs> Let's just talk about the, I brought up the slavery thing, Shane. Let's, let's talk about the slavery thing. Well, we think we know better, right? We think we know better. Here's the situation, right? Somebody is in a vehicle, drunk, and driving out here. Drunk, driving, and maybe a little high. Got a little bit of that marijuana in them, too. And they come around the corner and they come crashing into the house. Gas goes all over the place. The whole thing erupts fire and the whole house burns down. Now let's just say, that's all I have. That's an individual, that's all you got. You got the house, you put all your money into it and you're basically living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have any savings, but this is pretty much the only asset you have. Oh, well, we're okay, we're okay because the person that drove their car into my house, they got insurance. And then you find out what? They don't have insurance. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, because we live in America, right? We live in America. This is, this, is, this is how we do things here. Well, you're just gonna have to pay for it. And then he looks at you and says, I have no money. Matter of fact, I'm $20,000 in debt. So what do we do? What ends up happening? Well, any more these days, dude probably gets a slap on the wrist, gets his license taken away for 90 days. What about me? I lost everything. I lost everything. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't do anything. This guy has no money. This guy has no insurance, nothing. I lost everything. All I was doing was sitting there watching Monday Night Football you know, cheering for the Broncos, and the next thing I knew, somebody comes plowing into my house. Everything gets blown up. Everything gets burned down. No insurance. He's not paying me back. You know what we do? If we don't just give him a slap on the wrist, you know what we end up doing? 
We're putting him in jail, right? He goes to prison where he gets three meals a day, gets to work out every day, gets to play video games every day, gets to hang out with people every single day. Do I get three meals a day? Do I get, do I get to go to the gym? Do I get to do any of that stuff? Do I get to eat lobster? Every single penny is me trying to rebuild my house where he does everything. What happens to me? What happens to the individuals, these individuals? No, you know what they did? They said, you know what? You cannot do that. You cannot victimize somebody who was there. You know what you're going to do? You're going to spend the next six years of your life doing what this guy needs you to do. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, it's kind of, huh. Well, wait, wait a minute, Shane. Are you advocating slavery here? Am I? See, this is the reality. These are the issues that happen. These are real life issues. But when we look at the modern situation today, do you know what we do in our country? We reward criminals and we punish victims. Amen. Oh, that's better. Because we know better. We know better. This is modern society. This is, this is who we are. We have come. We've progressed. Technology has brought us to this place. All that stuff in the Bible is just archaic. It's old. It's dated. It's antiquated. We know better. But in reality, do we? Seriously, do we? I mean, even when it comes to promiscuity in the church, people always judge the Puritans because the Puritans were very strict. They were very stern. They had boundaries. And they're just like, well, you know what? That system of Puritan, you know, all that stuff, they were doing like statistics and all that stuff and found out that like only 90% of the women during that time were chaste before they got married. Only 90% of the women were virgins when they got married. So, you know... The Puritans didn't know what they were doing because only 90% of the women were virgins when they got married. Oh, they don't know what we're... But today we know better because that was antiquated. That was old. They don't know what they're doing. We know technology, all that kind of stuff, only to find out that 40% of the women in the church today are virgins before they get married. Oh, we're doing so much better. We got it down. We know what we're doing, do we? We got to be very, very careful. Anytime we get ourselves in a position where we're judging scripture, especially when it comes to morality, we have got to be very, very careful when it comes to that. Now again, now remember, just FYI, in case you guys don't know, the, ter- the 13th Amendment condemns slavery except for punishment for a crime, right? All right, somebody go look it up. <laughs> it's not completely outlawed. In this country, it's not completely outlawed. Go look at the 13th Amendment. It's punishment for crimes. Oh, 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 well, well, you know, you know, well, I don't know about all that kind of stuff. I mean, come on. You guys see the movies where you had the guys do, you know, 
you know, doing the hammer and hitting the railroad in chains. Oh, that's not slave labor. Come on, I'm being real. I'm being honest. Just being honest with you guys today. This has nothing to do with politically correct or anything. This has nothing to do with that family. This has everything to do with the word of God. Is the word of God going to be our foundation or is it not? Because if it is, then it is. If it's not, then it's not. And we gotta be honest with ourselves. Because I'm gonna tell you right now, God does not need us to defend him when it comes to the things that he has said and the things that he has declared. He doesn't need us to back him up. He doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to explain it. All we need to do is declare it and stand by it and say, you know what, whether you like it or not, thus saith the Lord. And that's it. And that's it. Psalm chapter 119, verses 73 to 80. You made me, you created me. Now give me the sense to follow your commands. May all who fear you find in me cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, O Lord, that your regulations are fair. You disciplined me because I needed it. Now let your unfailing love comfort me just as you promised me your servant. Surround me with your tender mercies so I may live, for your instructions are my delight. Bring disgrace upon the arrogant people who lied about me. Meanwhile, I will concentrate on your commandments. Let me be united with all who fear you, with those who know your laws. May I be blameless in keeping your decrees. Then I will never be ashamed. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that it will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the reality and purpose of our creation by the living God. The second thing we're going to look at is the joy that comes from life of the one who puts his hope in the word of God. And finally, we're going to see why we needed discipline and why we got it instead of eternal condemnation. So our thesis statement today is this. Uh, For those of you uh, that don't know, our thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. It says, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight and hope in the scriptures, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see that Christ and his word is a true cause for joy. Point number one, creation. To him who is able. It should not be misunderstood. Okay, we are not the product of random moments of chemical reactions and the ramming of molecules and matter colliding in empty space. Why? Because we're so much more. So much more. And we think that a better explanation of a creator is evolution. This is how you know that our minds are darkened. (laughs) This is how you know that our minds are in prison. This is how you know just how much sin has affected, the noetic effects of sin, how sin affects our minds, is where we don't want to believe that this great creator created everything, but rather believe that we just popped up out of nothing. That's better? 
Or here's, here's one. This is the one that's being taught in universities today. And I actually saw it with my own eyes in a textbook, a, a, a biology textbook. This is how the world was created. The world was already there. They don't explain the world thing. Just the world was already there. But what happened was, is an alien spaceship. I know it's funny, but seriously, I don't. I, but seriously, it, it's funny. It's definitely funny. But I read this in a textbook that's, that we're educating biologists in college. The spaceship comes by. Now, I was thinking, oh, here we go. The aliens created everything. It wasn't even the aliens creating everything. The alien spaceship drove by the Earth, and the exhaust fumes from the alien spaceship had a chemical reaction with some of the, the, the molecules and the atoms and the, the uh, cells that were already on the earth and it started this combustion. And the next thing you know, the grass started growing, the ocean started forming, then, then animals came, then the birds came, then humans came. Sound familiar? Okay. It's not scientifically, like, it's not scientific to say that God did that. But it's way more probable that an alien spaceship's exhaust fumes did it instead. Family, it's not that we don't believe, we won't believe. Psalm chapter 139, verses 14 to 16. Psalm 139, 14 to 16. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. I watched, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Here's your, here's your abortion scripture, family. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, doesn't that answer? When you look at human beings, we're so complex. We're, you know, we're very complex. There's so much to it, you know? I mean, the complexities that you have when it comes to just even thoughts, the emotions in human beings. You know, I, I've been married for Janine now, are we, are we like getting close to 30? Huh? 98. So what is that? 30? Uh, I, can't, I can't do math right now. We've been married for a long time. 20, over 20, 25 years. Now, I've known her, spent a lot of time with her, and the more I think I know her emotions, the less... I know. <laughs> the hu human beings are complex. You know, we can go back and forth and, you know, you don't have to quote me, but this is the reason why I feel like you can't, AI will never be able to accomplish what a human being can do. You know why? Because we don't even know what a human being can do. Just, we don't. But the, the human beings are so vast yeah, try looking for reason in the human heart of a woman. 
I'm just kidding, come on. I figured Al said he got my back today, so I figure I can say anything I want now, right? <laughs> Al, I got your back. I got your back. Humans are complex. And, and so when you look at that, you just say, oh, so human beings just popped up out of chance? It was just chance that we came? We can't avoid the fact that we believe that we were put here on this earth for a reason. For a reason. And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Sounds like purpose to me, family. And this is the reason our psalmist prays for God to give him sense or to give him understanding so that he can know the will of God and he can walk in them, walk in the good works that God had prepared beforehand. So he's asking, Lord, you have made me body and soul. So now grant me the grace to know what your will is and give me the strength to accomplish it. Now, is that kind of the, the motto of our young people when it comes to starting out their life, that this is my purpose in life anymore these days? This is my goal, this is my aim, this is what I want to accomplish? I know I was created by God, and I know God has a purpose for me. He had created me to, to uh, his workmanship, created for good works that God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Is that our goal? Is that our purpose? What well, is our purpose? But in our mind, is that our goal? Or in our mind, are we thinking that our purpose in life is to enjoy anything and everything that we can? Psalm chapter 138, verse 8. Psalm 138, 8. The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. All part of the plan. It's his plan. And so our psalmist prays that the Lord who is able will not indeed abandon us without understanding. So family, we pray that God will give us sense, that God will give us the understanding so that we can know his will and that we can walk in them. What an awesome and amazing purpose we have. Spurgeon writes, a man without a mind is an idiot. The mere mockery of a man. And a mind without grace is wicked. The sad perversion of a mind. We pray that we will not be left without spiritual judgment or understanding. Point number two, but the psalmist also shows us that we have a cause for joy. So we want to understand God's word because God's word is our foundation, right? And we want to try to live our lives now after the whole speech I gave in the beginning, founded on the word. So anytime you start to say, hey, that's wrong, that's your check. Hey, that's, you're watching TV. You guys are watching the news. Some of you guys be watching the news. You'd be like me. Hey, that's messed up. Okay, Check. Why is that messed up? 
That's our, that's our homework. Why is that messed up? All right? Point number two, cause for joy. So the word and the things that we see unfolding when it comes to the Bible is a cause for joy. You need it. And here's another piece of it. Your neighbor needs it too. When I, was a, when I was a young man in Bible college, now, Bible college is where you go to before you go to seminary, right? So this is before I was even in seminary. I was still a young Christian and, and still learning and, and still just passionate and, you know, doing everything that I can to, to be the best Christian that I could be. Now, when I was a young man in Bible college, there was a wise Christian Lutheran woman, woman counseling instructor was wise. She was very, very, very wise. And she shook me out of some real self-centeredness when it comes to our lives as Christians. Now, here it is. I'm thinking, you know, Bible college, going to be a pastor. I got, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to stay humble, you know, and I was going through some difficult times during this, this period. I was going through difficult times, transitioning from the church because there was a lot that happened at the church. There was hurt. There was you know, lies. There were all kinds of things that happened and, and just difficult trying to get through life at the time. All my friends were abandoning me who I thought were my friends and just it's difficult. And I remember we're sitting there talking. We're talking about it. And, and, I was, and, and, and as we were going through some of the issues... I kept focusing on what it is that God was doing. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This is really difficult. This is a really hard thing that's happening in my life right now. And, but I have to go through it because God is putting me through the refiner's fire. And I'm going to come out of this situation and come out of this fire pure. I'm going to be like pure gold when I get through the refiner's fire, going through all this difficulty. And I got to make sure that I pray and that I'm patient enough to make sure that I learn all that the Lord is teaching me right now. Because God has got me in this situation. He wants to show me things. He wants to teach me things. I need to go through all that the Lord wants me to experience. And I want to make sure that I get everything that the Lord has for me. So I want to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to follow His word. And I'm going to be patient so I can get all the grace, all the blessing that the Lord has for me. So the Lord put me here so that I could gain all of this, all this blessing that God had given me. In a soft voice, he just said, well, Shane, can I give you just one more perspective? She says, maybe God has you where you are for the benefit of someone else. Oh, I heard, I heard one. That shook me. It's absolutely how self-centered we can be, even when we're trying to be obedient and godly. Right? That even still, I thought it was just for me. Maybe God has you where you are for the benefit of someone else. What you are saying, you are, what we're saying, the scriptures are true, and that that we should consider others as better than ourselves? Whoa. See, we constantly think that the road that we're on and all that we go through is always for our benefit when you could be there for the benefit of someone else. Even the suffering that we endure, we selfishly think that we endure it for our benefit, but what if we are there suffering and having to sacrifice for someone else? Is that a possibility? 
I think it's more than a possibility. I think it's a reality. And then I finally looked at it and I finally thought, oh my gosh, look at all the people since I've been here in this new venture that I'm at and this place that God has me right now. Yeah, I was able to encourage people. I was able to help people. I prayed with people and I helped them through stuff. And then I changed everything. Hey, how about as I'm enduring and going through these trials and doing everything that I'm doing, how about I stop thinking about myself and I start looking around me and starting to see how I can help other people instead? Woke me up that a lot of times we go through what it is that we're going through. We do the things that we, go th- that we do and it's not for us, it's for somebody else. Even when it comes to church, our overall context as to why we go. The question is, why do we go to church? Well, number one, it's the law. Number two, you need it. Number three, your neighbor needs it. What? My neighbor needs me to come to church? Absolutely, your neighbor does. We need to see others that are making church a priority just like you are. When we wake up and you think, you know what, I don't feel like going to church today, and we say, you know what, I don't think I need to go today. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't feel like I need to. I'm doing really good. Well, maybe you need to go to church today not for your benefit. Maybe you need to go to church to encourage and help somebody else. Is it because that you're there to pray with them, to minister to them, so, you know, I can preach to them? No, it can be just you sitting there and showing them that church is important to you too. It's amazing what this opens up when we start to realize and recognize that things that we go through, things that we endure, things that we suffer, all of these things are not just for our benefit, but we're there to help others. Maybe someone else needs me to be obedient. You know, we're so focused, I gotta be obedient so God will do this for me. How about you be obedient so you can bless somebody else? Is that possible? Even if we're blessed, it's important for others to see the blessing. That's why I I wanna hear it. That's why I love hearing it. I love hearing when you all tell me about things that God has pulled you through. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I can't think of her name right now. (laughs) She gives me weekly updates as to how she's overcoming certain vices in her life and how she's finding victory and all that stuff. And that brings me joy because I know what she is overcoming. You can't do that on your own. No way. And I'm just like, man, there's some supernatural stuff that's happening over there. I want to hear about it. I want to see it. And it causes me to rejoice. That's what our psalmist is saying. When he looks and he sees you overcoming other people who fear God, rejoice in what they see God doing in you. Woo! Man, that's awesome. They will rejoice when they see what God is doing in you. Even if you're fighting, it's important for other people to see you fight. We've got to see that. I love to see that. I mean, not the fact that you, guys are in the, that you guys are fighting, but I love to see that there are people in this world that are fighting, fighting for truth. 
You know, that in, in the end, you know what? That person in the end is going to be, I fought the fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. I rejoice in that, that's, that there's people out there that's going to be able to say that, that people here at Central is going to be able to say that. And I need to see that. We need to see that. If you're suffering, it's important for others to see you overcome suffering. For those of you that are mature in the faith, they need to see you overcome suffering, not crumbling under it. I mean, I mean that's how, that's how uh, I forgot his name, um, one of the great preachers was saying, you know, that's how you understand, that's how you see maturity. You know, individuals are like, hey, you know, this person is mature. Well, why is that person mature? Well, because that person knows a lot about the Bible. And he's like, well, that's not maturity to me. What shows me maturity is what you do when you're suffering. Hmm. Knowing a lot about the Bible is not maturity. It's showing and displaying what you actually believe about it. Wow, that's a different story. And when you see that, that's what encourages. That's what inspires. That's what we see. That's where we can find joy. But even if you are blessed, again, it's important for others to see. That's what he was saying here in Psalm 119, verse 74 of our passage today. May all who fear you find in me cause for joy, for I have put my hope in your word. Charles Spurgeon, he writes, when a man of God obtains grace for himself, he becomes a blessing to others, especially if that grace has made him a man of sound understanding and holy knowledge. God-fearing people are encouraged when they, meet with when they meet with experienced believers. A hopeful man is a gift sent by God when things are going downhill or when he is in danger, when the hopes of one believer are fulfilled. His companions are made glad, strengthened, and led to hope also. So yeah, those of you that are mature in faith, we need you. We need to see it. And when we see what you're going through and we see everything that you're overcoming, it will make us glad and we can rejoice and support you and pray with you and rejoice and celebrate with you. But many times when we come together, we come to share in each other's burdens. But are we also here to share in each other's joys? Can we share in each other's joys? That's one of the big problems I think that we have in our, in our world, especially in the church today. And this is very sad when instead of finding joy in the victories of other people in the church, we fall into the snares of jealousy and envy. And we start to fight, to humiliate, to condemn, to put down. Sometimes in the church, and because of the real influence the culture has on us, that we ruin the great things the Lord has done for us, the things that bring us blessings and joy. And it's hard. And I understand, I see it, I get it. When I was a young pastor, 
You know, I, I just, oh gosh, I despised going to those, those pastor meetings. You know, because you go to these pastor meetings and all these pastors are sitting around and we're all talking about, you know, my church is this big and we got this stuff going on and I this and this and we're all doing this. And then it's like, well, what about me? We're not doing anything. And instead of rejoicing that this church is reaching its culture and, and, and doing a lot, in the, uh, I'm all focused and all bitter and upset because nah, I ain't doing that. How come I can't do that? When, what about when I get my peace? When is this going to happen for me? You know? And so instead, I'm like, you know, instead of praying, God, help me to get this up there, I'm like, well, let me tell you something. You, 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 you know, you got bad shoes. <laughs> What's up? That, that suit don't fit you no more. And he start cutting down the ministry. Oh, you know what? They got air conditioning in every room. You know, talk about wasting, you know, tithes and offerings and just looking to try to find something wrong with it instead of rejoicing for the wonders and things that are happening. What has happened to us today? What's going on with us today? I, I just, I'm being honest with you. I'm just giving you an example of, of what, the, you know, struggles and temptations and things that we do even as pastors. That doesn't mean I don't see that happening with y'all. <laughs> it, it's there. The snares of envy and jealousy that come in. And we absolutely ruin the blessings that God has for us. That's why there's Discipline. That's why we need it to see that sin is a true reality. God disciplines those whom he loves. Our psalmist sees the discipline of the Lord as a good thing. And he says, I needed the suffering. I needed the affliction to happen to me because I needed it. Many of us were going through difficult times because we need it. Helps us to keep our minds up. The reality of sin as Christians is always the possibility that we needed it because we still have to deal with the flesh. We have to deal with our sin nature. And when we ask the Lord for help, we've got to realize that this is how he helps us. He helps us by putting us through these situations, trials and tribulations, right? The testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we can be mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. So we would say, hey, Lord, I want to be mature, I want to be complete. I want to not lack in anything. And then trials and tribulation comes and now we're mad at him. God's up there. You, you asked for it. And we see this as a bad thing. But he's saying that we needed it. No, see what we want is we want God to just hit the eject button or God to just Sprinkle us with some fairy dust and now we're mature, complete, and not lacking in anything. Here's the thing. God didn't help David defeat Goliath by making Goliath disappear. See, I think that's what we want. We have a Goliath in our life and we're just praying, God, 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 just take this problem away. Make this problem go away. Oh, okay, well, let me make Goliath disappear for you. Now, God helped David defeat Goliath 
by helping him defeat Goliath. Man, we've got to overcome. We've got to defeat. We've got to win. We've got to start seeing the body of Christ start being victorious when we're faced with these kinds of situations. We've got to stop losing in front of the world because we're taking on the mentality and the ideology of our culture. Our culture wants to hit the eject button. Our culture is looking for the handout. The culture is looking for the relief. The culture is looking for the help for the victim. All just this whole thing, we want to placate the victim. We've got to help the victim. Where are the heroes in our world today? Do you know who the heroes are supposed to be? The disciples of Jesus Christ. You are expected to be heroes in our culture. We're, ex- we're expected to overcome evil. We're expected to stand strong. We're expected to stand before Goliath. And we are expected to be victorious. Because our God is the living God. If, are you a Christian today? If you're a Christian today, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means what? The Holy Spirit dwells with you. There's no can't in our vocabulary, family. This is the reality of sin that affects us all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. The wages of sin is death. Condemnation is coming. Wrath is here. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But before discipline came, salvation came. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, Shane, you don't understand. God demands the impossible of us. Yeah, because we're the ones that can do the impossible. Why? Because our God is the God of the impossible. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And what was that in the context of salvation that God did the impossible by bringing us to faith in Christ and for us to have life and life more abundant we can be saved from all of this because of what Christ has done Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus And the promises continue. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Family, there is life and life more abundant. And we find it in Christ and in Christ alone. This is more than enough reason to rejoice today. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www. 
www.cbcaurora.com.